You're listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church. All right. Who's glad I'm back? We, we, missed, we missed because of the snow day, and then I was down for two Sundays with COVID. I, I thought I was going to live through this whole plague, ditching it, because I've been living right. I don't know about the rest of you guys, but I've been living right, so I thought I was going to, that thing was going to miss me, but um, clearly Amy Squires is living right, because she has not got it, so... Just kidding. So, uh, I am honestly so happy to be up here today. Um, if for no other reason than I feel like my message today is just a testimony of God's goodness, and um, I I failed to listen to Robin's message from last week, but in comparing notes this week. Uh, I think the Lord is trying to help us in this moment. Um, what I'm going to be talking about today is is the joy of the Lord. And um, joy is one of those words that you can become bored with. And you can become so familiar with the concept or a generalized concept of joy that it fails to resonate with you. I know that's been the case for me, but um, through through the month of January, coming out of the holidays into the month of January, I I was I was tempted to despair. Had we had some pretty significant, um, you know, just your average troubles that you go through in life, but if you do that enough times, you can hear the word joy, and it can become offensive to you. And I was just seeking the Lord one day. When I say seek the Lord, I don't mean like getting on my knees and praying prayers. I just mean kind of like wandering through my life, saying things sporadically to God. (laughs) You feel me on that? Uh, But at some point, point I felt like the Lord said to me the joy of the Lord is your strength and I've I've always known that phrase of a church kid growing up in church but never really investigated it so I I googled it of course like all good theologians and um, discovered it in the book of Nehemiah and um, so that's really what I want to jump off of today I want to jump off into the book of Nehemiah my message today is called the strength that you need any of you need strength today? You need some additional strength in your life? So here's the thing. Uh, the book of Nehemiah is the last book of the history of the Old Testament. It's not the last book of the Old Testament. It's, it's actually, it's six actually be, before Psalms and Proverbs and Job. But in the history of the nation of Israel in the Old Testament, which is God's story, which is, if you've been grafted into the body of Christ, it's now your story. The book of Nehemiah is um, the last chapter of the history of the Old Testament. And what's gone on in this, in this book is that at some point in the history of Israel, 
they were practicing separation from God on such a continual basis that they eventually became separated from their promised land. Some, some ways that you could say it is that they were being rebellious towards God. Or maybe you could say they were disobeying God. And it wasn't just uh, stealing bubble gum at the, the drugstore. There was like decades worth of continual practice, practicing living their lives separated with the God who chose them. The Israelites were a particular love of, of Yahweh, of God. He, he plucked them out of the, all of the nations of the world. And he said, you are the ones that I'm going to start my revelation through. I'm going to show you who I am so that eventually the whole world can know who I am. And in the course of that story, at some point, they practiced in their daily lives a separation from the God that they once served to the degree that they began to be separated physically from the promises of God in their life. One of those promises was a promised land. And the Babylonian Empire came upon them, destroyed their cities, destroyed their temple, and took the ones that they didn't kill far out of their promised land into an exile, into a strange place that they did not know. And the story is that they were there for a really long time. God's people were separated from their promised land. They went and lived in a strange land. They planted gardens. They built homes. And they actually eventually, some of the younger ones especially, forgot even what the land looked like. They had heard stories, but they didn't even know what the promised land was anymore. So what the book of Nehemiah is, it's the beginning of, of the restoration of God's people back to their promises. Nehemiah is a trusted counselor in the house of the king of Persia. After the Babylonians destroyed Israel, took Israel captive, they held on to those captives for a few years, but then another empire came along, the empire of Persia, and caused the Babylonian Empire to go away and the Persians became in charge. And Nehemiah was a cupbearer in the house of the king of Persia. And at some point, a report gets to Nehemiah and the report is this. Jerusalem is decimated. It's in shambles. And Nehemiah is a righteous man and he has a memory of the former glory of Israel. And he tears his clothes and he heaps ashes upon himself and his countenance goes awry because he's so sad because the former glory of Israel has been decimated. And one day he's standing in the presence of the king and in those days you were not allowed to have sadness on your countenance in front of the king otherwise you would be put to death. 
But Nehemiah was a trusted friend of the king. And he dares to look sad in front of the king of Persia. And the king says, what's wrong with you? He says, oh, king, I've gotten news that my city, the city of God, its walls have been destroyed. And the king says, what do you want to do? He says, I want to go back there and I want to rebuild these walls. I want to reestablish Jerusalem. And that's what happens. If you haven't read the book of Nehemiah, go read it. It's an incredible story of restoration. So Nehemiah goes back and with a lot of planning, with a lot of really good strategy, he and a bunch of people successfully rebuild the walls. They hang all seven gates that are around the the city of Jerusalem. And then there comes this moment when their work is completed, where they're going to dedicate the work of their hands to the Lord. So in the time of Nehemiah, there was also another man named Ezra. And Ezra was a scribe and a priest. And Ezra had a memory of the law of Moses. So here's what they did. Nehemiah and Ezra, they gather all of the people who had left exile in Persia, who had traveled back to Jerusalem to rebuild the walls. They gathered everybody together and here's what they did. They opened the book of the law of Moses and Ezra began to read it out loud. And here's what happened. And Ezra, the priest and scribe stood before all the people and he read the law of Moses. And the Bible says this. He clearly explained the meaning of what was being read. Helping the people understand the meaning of each passage. You know, it's possible to read the Bible and not understand it. It's possible to read the Bible and need help to gather the meaning of the passage. Amen. This is why we live in community with each other. Because we need help to discern what the scripture is saying. That's right. So here's what happened. For a lot of these people, they had never heard the Bible. It wasn't called the Bible then. But they had never heard the Bible read before. They had been living in exile. They didn't know what the law said. And for many In the hearing of these words, it was their very first time and something extraordinary begins to happen. The Bible says that the people were weeping as they listened to the words of the law. So why were they weeping? Well, for many of them, it was the first time that they had heard scripture. They were weeping because they were shattered by the realization that their exile into Babylon was the result of their rejection of God. This was like dawning on them for the first time. It had been many, many years since they had come or since they had left Israel and and returned. There was weeping because they were living in the reality of separation from God. They were assuming that their rebellion against God was the final word. They thought it was the final word of their story But it wasn't. So here's the thing. 
These people didn't know this yet, but they're about to find it out. Our unfaithfulness is never able to stop the faithfulness of God. God's faithfulness will always outrun our unfaithfulness. Even our rejection of God is not enough to thwart the plans of God. Isn't that good news? That you can take some detours in your life and even that is not enough to thwart the plans of God in your life. That's grace. That's what grace looks like, y'all. I don't recommend you taking detours, but the truth is we all do, don't we? But man, it's just so good to know that we are in the good care of our Savior who is constantly working. He's, shall he use the word, conspiring. He's always conspiring on our behalf. And so in this moment, while these people are weeping, Nehemiah stands up in front of them and he says this, don't be dejected. Don't be sad for the joy of the Lord is your strength. All right. So here's the people who have been living in exile for a really long time. They laid eyes on their decimated city, didn't see any hope for a future. They had been working for weeks, if not months, with their bare hands, putting stones upon stones to build something out of nothing. Who knows what it would even be good for? I mean, the Persian Empire was still in control. And then, to add insult to injury, they have to stand in front of all their work and hear the law of Moses pretty much telling them explicitly that they're in really big trouble based upon their behavior. Don't you think that that would sap a guy of strength? Don't you think if you weren't already feeling really bad about your life when the law of Moses comes along and tells you how exactly bad you've been, that you might not lose a little bit more strength at that point? You might have reason to weep, amen? But Nehemiah has the audacity to stand up and say this to these people with no strength at all, who haven't been walking faithfully with God at all. He stands up and says, listen, throw a party, get some food, get some wine, get food ready for the people who have failed to prepare for themselves and let the good times roll because the joy of the Lord is your strength. At that point, my question is, what the heck is joy? I hear so much about joy and I don't really know what it is, Lord. I go to Hobby Lobby and I get my sign that says, choose joy. I still don't know what it means. Live often, love, love something. I don't know. It's like we've done ourselves such a disservice with the generalization, the commodification of these once precious virtues. But the Holy Spirit is taking the people of God to these places where they need a strength, they need a joy beyond a sign on their wall. God will lead you to a place of hunger and desperation where trite answers are no longer sufficient for you. 
It may be that the course of your life has led you to a place of wondering what joy even is. And you're desperate for something beyond somebody's nice church, nice answer, nice worship service, nice sermon. You may be at a point of desperation where you have no other thing to lean on except for the joy of the Lord, except you don't know quite what that is. Right? Oh my gosh, I was trying to keep this at 25 minutes. For those of you guys who heard me say that in the back room, I repent right now. (laughs) So Nehemiah says this all those years ago, but that ancient declaration is still good news for us today. And the thing is this, we don't have to depend on our own joy for our own strength. When we feel that we are without strength and without joy, it's okay because the joy of the Lord is our strength. But the question is, what is this joy? Well, first of all, what I want to say is this, and this is like stating the obvious, but I'm going to say it anyways. Joy is something that is impossible to fake. You cannot fake it till you make it with joy. All right. Joy isn't produced. It's not a force that you produce by you having a positive attitude. You cannot manifest your way to joy. Sorry. Not sorry. But that's true. Okay? You may need a positive attitude in your life. I'm not saying you should be walking around with a bad attitude. You may need a positive attitude. All I'm saying is, is that a positive attitude and joy are not the same thing. Sometimes we get those things confused and we're walking around with a "Ah," positive attitude. But what's going on in the inside of our body is anything but joy. See, here's the thing. Real joy, the joy of the Lord is something that courses through your bones. It's in your blood, it's in your heart, and it's in your mind, and it has nothing to do whether your circumstances are good or bad. Are you with me? Real joy is impossible to fake, but it is always in you, even if it may be dormant. If you're a believer, if you're in Christ, if you're a part of the body of Christ, the joy of the Lord is already in you, whether you know it or not. Now, it may be asleep, but it wakes up when you finally realize something. Now, joy as a theory is fine, but I want a joy I can feel. Right? I mean... There may be seasons in your life where joy remains a good theory, but I'm looking for the times and the places in my life where it's an, it's a reality in my body. It's something that I'm connected to that regardless of what I'm going through, I can still feel it. And I'll tell you this, Christians are a strange bunch. All right. On purpose, we are. Okay, we are connected to sources that folks that aren't in Christ are not connected to. And the deal is this. We have to stop being apologetic for the things that God gave us to thrive with. I was just thinking about worship this morning and I was thinking, how weird is it that a bunch of people get together, lift their faces to an invisible God and sing songs to him? That's weird. It makes no sense. 
Paul said it in 1 Corinthians. He said it like this. He's like, the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. So what y'all need to do is embrace your outsider status. Okay? The call on your life isn't you trying to be relevant to the culture. The call on your life is one that looks like rhyming with the faithfulness of Jesus. You may be unfaithful in your life at the moment, but what the Spirit of God is beckoning you into is you realizing that you're just a chip off the old block. If you're in Christ today, the life of Christ may be dormant in you, but the Spirit of God is waiting for you to wake up to the reality that you're already directly living in. Now, the truth is, is that there are trajectories of maturity, right? I'm not who I was when I was 20 years old, thank God. I'm growing up. I'm going on to bigger and better things in the Lord. That is true of all of us. But our starting place is fullness. We're not working our way to earn something with God, God has already deposited within each and every one of the, us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Does that make sense? Maybe it doesn't. You, you'll get it later. It's worth knowing, though. You're already there, y'all. So here's the thing. Joy becomes strength inside of you when you know something. Joy You can think about it this way. Joy is the fruit of something that you know. So where does this joy come from? Oh, this is, this is so good. You should take notes on this. Joy comes from something that carries more authority than the problems that you're facing in your life. Oh my goodness. I've been through some things lately that were so hard. They carried so much authority. They were working to decimate me and diminish me. But the reason why I was thriving through those things is because there's something inside of me. The joy of the Lord has more authority than the things that are working out on the outside against me. Isn't that good news? You see, here's the thing. The faith that resides in you, the faith that you're counting on is not anything that you have mustered up. It's not anything that comes by your will or your strength. It's the gift of God to you in your life. The faith that resides in you is the faith of the Son of God. Your faith is Jesus' faith. I know some of y'all have never heard that. I can hear the silence in here. I can hear your gears turning right now. What the heck is he talking about? But the thing is, y'all have been working so hard to have faith about things. Guess what? You cannot do it. You cannot make yourself believe enough. You cannot make yourself have faith enough. You are not counting on yourself. You are not counting on your own faith. The faith that you're depending on comes directly to you from the throne of God through the man Christ Jesus. What he believes is what your inner man believes. What heaven knows is what you're on your way to knowing. That is what maturity is, y'all. Maturity is a trajectory of discovery. It's not trying to talk yourself out of 
whether you're a sinner or not, or it's not nothing like that. Your life is one discovery after another of the goodness of God. And where that goodness begins is this, that you know that you are the beloved of God. Some of y'all don't know that you're beloved. Some of you are trying so hard to work out your salvation still. Jesus has saved you. He loves you. Y'all need to believe it. The faith you're living in is the faith of Jesus. Your faith is the same as Jesus' faith. And your inner man knows that. Your inner man knows, like the book of James says, that you are perfect and lacking nothing. So what if, so what if your life's not perfect? What better place to discover that the joy of the Lord is strengthening you than in your imperfect life? The joy of the Lord is best realized when the going gets tough. I'll tell you this. My life has not been easy. Anybody else have that testimony? My life has not been easy, all right? I have suffered many griefs, but the realest thing about me is that I am a man of joy. That's the realest thing. I have written some sad songs, but I am a man of joy beyond all other things. And the reason is this, because the joy of the Lord is my strength. I'm not waiting around for my circumstances to be perfect in order to go swimming in the goodness of God. Christ is the passion of my life. I know all the arguments against him. I know all the reasons why faith in him is silly and foolish. I know all the rational empirical arguments against staking my entire life on Jesus Christ. I understand that following Jesus has no legitimate claims to make in this present moment with regards to usefulness or relevancy. But the Lord has given me something that no other God of this age, no other religion, no other philosophy, no other wisdom has been able to give me. Do you know what Jesus has given me? My testimony is this. The joy of the Lord is my strength because Christ is meaningful. The gift that Jesus has given you in your life, however ordinary or extraordinary, however joyous or painful, is the gift of meaning. Jesus is the beginning and the end of all meaning for us. As Christians, we are staking everything on the man Christ Jesus. We're lifting our eyes to him in every circumstance because his joy is our strength. Christ is the vision of beauty before us. He is the one we adore. He is the one we have produced living sacrifices of thanksgiving and praise for. We have taken our lives and purchased something to pour out upon him. Not because he demands it, but because we are in awe of who he is. We are happily wasting our lives on Jesus because we know that he is the only one who is worthy of that. Do you know, do you know that preaching is doxology? Do you know what doxo doxology, doxology 
are forms of worship. When we were, when we were up here, when the work, praise team was up here, praise team, I haven't used that phrase in so long. In the early 2000s, I knew this band. They were a worship band. They were called Praise Attack, and I love that. <laughs> I will never forget that, Praise Attack. But, but when, when this declaration was happening and this declaration is happening, that's doxology. There's a river of praise that is flowing through this, this whole area. And if the same thing is happening during preaching. When the declaration of the word of God is going forth, it's like there's this river of praise that's going out. And it's not just this, this guy is up here droning and everybody has to sit there held hostage to his droning. It's like there is a reality of heaven that breaks forth in the preaching of the word, in the hearing of the word, in the responding of the word. And the people of God are finding out who they are again. Amen. And there's a life and there's a godliness that is produced in us when we come together and we discover the goodness of God. And we can start to feel that the thing that lives inside of us is so much greater than the things in our circumstances that are trying to have authority over us, but cannot in the name of Jesus. He is, Jesus is the only God in this world who will not devour us. Every other God will devour you. You can try them out as you like, but the things that give you pleasure initially will eventually spit you out. Jesus gave his life so that you and I could understand and comprehend and feel how beloved we are. And Jesus wants us to know this beyond intellectual knowledge. He wants us to know that we are his treasure and he wants us to feel the joy that he feels. Jesus feels joy when he looks at you. Here's the thing. Do you know that you were treasured by God before you believed in him? He wasn't waiting for you to say the sinner's prayer so that he could like you. You were his beloved before you even believed him. The cross isn't the thing that made God love you. The cross is proof of how much he does love you. I have three more pages of notes. I am not going to do them. I'm, I'm ending it right here because you know what we're going to do? We're going we're gonna to celebrate the Lord's Supper today. Because I believe this, that the joy of the Lord is not something that we're going to hear about. The joy of the Lord is something we're going to partake in and we're going to participate in today. Amen? But I want you to remember this. I want you to take this away, if nothing else, from my message this morning. God doesn't prove his love to you by giving you an easy life. Have you ever felt like God was put out with you because your life was so difficult? Like you had done something wrong 
or maybe something was amiss and you're like, your prayers weren't answered exactly the way that you thought they should be. So you, you concluded that God must be put out with you. But you need to remember this. God does not prove his love for you by giving you an easy life. Some of you have thought that God has abandoned you because you have faced great difficulties. But here's the thing. Honestly, the troubles that we face, they're neither here nor there. The greatest revelations of God's love come to us in the most difficult of times. The greatest testimonies of meaning are forged in the fires of the greatest trials. God proves his love to you by revealing how meaningful your life is in spite of the difficulties that you're going through. Isn't that good news? That's such good news. I mean, let me ask you this. Don't put up your hand just because I'm asking you to. But if you feel like you have a need for what I'm talking about this morning in your life, like an awakening to the reality of God's joy that already lives in you, raise your hand. Just raise your hand real quick. Yeah. Let's pray. And then I'm going to hand it over to Thomas. Wow, Lord, that's, that's all I can say is wow. Thank you so much that you have not left us alone, that we are not on our own, that we are not devoid of your spirit, but that your spirit is flowing through each one of us right now. And Lord, This is what we're asking. We're asking for a revealing. We're asking for a revealing of your joy and power on the inside of each of us. And I pray for each person who who may be walking in some version of woundedness, brokenness. Maybe you've been crushed. Maybe you've been struck down. Holy Spirit, we know that you can heal us. We know that you can heal our wounds. And in this time of celebrating the Lord's Supper, we ask that you'd continue working in this place right now. In Jesus' name. If we are the body of Christ, if we are to live in that reality, that truth, it has to move from being an abstraction to something real, something tactile, something our limited minds can understand. The first way into it is to simply embrace the mystery. Like Andy said, we we started our day by singing songs together in worship, lifting our hands and voices and worshiping an invisible God. And now we're sharing in the Lord's Supper, the Eucharist, which is a Greek word that just means thanksgiving. 
And we start our week, two hours here, coming together, practicing being the body of Christ. Go, letting it go from an abstraction to something real. A great way for to become something real is to experience something like Robin experienced. A part of the body of Christ, he experiences healing. We come together. We lay hands on each other. We worship. We take something we made, bread and wine, we lift it to heaven. And through a mystery that none of us can understand, God touches it and makes it something of heaven. Makes it something holy. It's messy. It's tactile. We eat it. We break it. We consume it. Before COVID, we actually had one loaf where we were ripping it in pieces and sharing it amongst ourselves right here, our local expression of the body. I look forward to when we can do that again because it's messier, it's more tactile, and it helps us go from an abstraction to reality as the body of Christ. Amen? I was reading Richard Roy this week, and he was saying, we always pray thy kingdom come, but we never say my kingdom go. And as we enter into this Thanksgiving, I, let's just begin by preparing our hearts and letting ourselves go a little more. Find the joy in subtraction. We're a culture addicted to addition. Let us find the joy in subtraction, subtraction, letting ourselves go. So let's just prepare our hearts for a moment. And we're going to confess. I'll lead us in a prayer of confession. And as I say these words, these ancient words that the body of Christ has been saying for hundreds of years throughout the world, make it your prayer this morning. I confess to Almighty God and before the whole company of heaven that I have sinned in thought, word, and deed by what I have done, by what I have left undone. And I ask for mercy and for the forgiveness of my sins. And I ask you, my brothers and sisters, to pray for me to the Lord our God. Almighty God, you are faithful to forgive us. You are abundant in mercy. You pardon us. You deliver us. You give us peace. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ, we are forgiven. Help us find the joy in subtraction. Less of us, more of you. This water is poured into this cup, the chalice of salvation, recalling the water which flowed from the side of the Son of God. May the mingling of this water and wine, which are now inseparable, remind us that Christ is being joined to our humanity and our humanity is being joined to his deity, never to be separated. That's the promise of the New Testament. You are healed. It is done because we are being joined to his humanity and his humanity is being joined to our deity and his deity is being joined to our humanity, never to be separated. It's not a past event. It's not a future event. It's an ever occurring present event is being joined. Go ahead and take your bread, your wafer. And if you don't have one, there's some in the back. Come on in, guys. You can spread out. I love seeing the youth in here. Amen. On the night he was betrayed, he took bread in his hands and he blessed it and he broke it. And he gave it to his disciples and he said, take, eat. This is my body broken for you. Do this as a remembrance for me, the body of Christ, the bread of heaven.
what a tactile, non-abstract practice. We're, we're eating, we're consuming, we're chewing it up, we're swallowing it. What a mystery. Likewise, after they had eaten, he took the cup and he said, drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Drink this as a remembrance for me. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Happy are those who are called to his banqueting table. And we say this together. Lord, I am not worthy to receive you, but only say the word and we shall be healed. And he has said the word. It is done. We are healed. We are forgiven. Come and receive. Lord, may your peace lead us this week. Maybe find the joy in subtraction. And as the season of Lent begins in a few weeks, lead us to what you would have us subtract in our life. And let us discover a deep, profound joy that is waiting there for us. Amen. You've been listening to the Queen City Church Sermon of the Week. For more information on this message and other resources, visit queencity.church.